You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare Church, located in Harbor City in Norwalk, California. Today on our Harbor City campus, we are delighted to hear from our special guest, Pastor Ashton Fish. Uh, real quick shout out, if you've been to camp, if you're a student, can you just give me a shout real quick? Any students in here? Awesome. Glad to have you guys here this morning. Uh, again, my name is Ashton Fish. My lovely wife, Tori, is here with me this morning. And let's see, I'll click over here. I think I can control this. And we're expecting a baby. We just found out. So we're three months, just got it past our first uh, trimester. Um, and we were just singing No Longer Slaves and talking about being formed in your mother's womb. And we were both just weeping because we're just so excited um, to have baby fish coming. Um, and we're, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we really like the names Nemo, Star, Rainbow, Dory. No, I'm kidding. So anyways, but we're really excited for that um, coming up. And uh, again, I've been at the district now for six years uh, working with Dr. Dennis Easter. Um, before that, I was youth pastoring at my dad's youth group. Um, and then also I was uh, youth pastoring in Highlands uh, church, which is in Palmdale. So um, I've got to be a youth pastor for multiple years. My wife was a youth pastor, and I actually served underneath her leadership uh, just recently in the past year. And I just interim pastored my first church for nine months, which was crazy in the Antelope Valley. So it's been a busy, busy season. Oh, and I'm in seminary. I'm in Bible college right now. So it's been uh, an amazing journey the last few years, and I'm just excited for what God's doing in our lives and also doing in the next gen. Um, As I think about camp, and I was praying this morning, I just wanted to share a story with you because I really believe that God is doing something really special in this next generation. And even this sermon today, identity theft, um, as parents in this room, you know that kids' uh, identity and students' identity is under fire right now. Can anybody else know what I'm talking about, right? In our world, it's under fire. And, And so... But also what I've learned is that it's not just with kids and, and youth, because when I pastored a church for nine months, I realized it was just as strong with adults too, and that our identities are under fire. So I want to talk about that today. And as I was praying this morning, the Lord gave me the story and the scripture, just specifically for this church. It's Hebrews 12.1, and it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, right? Have you heard this scripture before? Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that God, that through God, through Christ, we have an identity in him, a heavenly identity, amen? We are citizens of heaven in this room. We have an identity that doesn't come from the world, what's defined by what's going on in politics, thank you, Jesus, or what's defined by what's going on around our world. We're defined by who God says we are and our identity in Christ. And I want to talk about that today. And I want to talk about the great cloud of witnesses that even right now at this moment, there's a spiritual realm. There's things that we're not seeing. There's a greater understanding. And at camp, I get to see this every year. And I want to share a story that happened a couple summers ago. I was at camp. And there was a little boy that was worshiping in the front um, of the, the camp sanctuary. So there's about 350 kids there. And there was one kid left. And he was just sitting right here on his knees and worshiping. And I remember somebody came up to me and said, hey, can you go get him? Because we need to go do our activities. And I'm like, okay. It just felt kind of weird. You're like, like, make the kids stop worshiping? You know what I mean? Like, this is what we're doing at camp. And so he's, he's sitting here on his knees and he's just worshiping God. And so I come up to him and I'm like, hey, buddy, you know. What's your name? He goes, my name's Jonathan. I'm like, hi, Jonathan. You know, how old are you? He's like, I'm 10 years old. And I'm like, what's going on, man? He's like, I'm just worshiping God. And he's like crying and he's weeping. And I'm like, dude, that's awesome that you're worshiping God. You know, but it just seems like something else is going on here. He's like, yeah, I can see the angels up top at Cedar Crest right now. 
And I'm going, you know, I look up and I'm like, I don't see any angels. You know what I mean? Like, and I like, is that moment, you know, I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, no, they're worshiping. And they're saying, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. And he's quoting Old Testament verses, right? And it's like a 10-year-old kid. And I'm just going, and at that moment, I was like, okay, I'm getting on my knees. Have you ever had that moment before? Like the presence of God is, is moving, right? There's a great cloud of witnesses, and you just begin to realize what's going on. <laughs> because we are like sheep. We're prone to wander. We're prone not to experience what God has for us. And here he is in this moment. He's on his knees. And so I get on my knees next to him, and we're, and we're beginning to worship. And then, it's funny. Then all the other staff members that were like, get him out of the sanctuary because we have to do this next activity, they all come and they get on their knees, right? And he's giving these leaders prophetic words, right? He's speaking words of knowledge into people's lives. And people are just beginning to weep and cry. And I'm just, you know, I'm getting overwhelmed. I'm like sitting here in the moment. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, this is one of the coolest camp experiences ever. And then he goes, Ashton, I, the angel's coming down to give you a message. Do you want to hear it? The angel's coming down to give you a message. Do you want to hear it? You know, if you study what the word angel means, it means messenger, right? That's what they do. They give messages, and the central message of heaven and from angels, they always say, don't be afraid, because I'm telling you, I was afraid. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, sh- sure, man. Like, Jonathan, tell me what the angel's saying. He's, he's like, okay, you know, he's coming down. And he, he goes, um, Ashton, your, your dad's okay. Your dad's okay, and your family's going to be okay. And he can't wait for you to be in heaven with him. A few months before that, my dad had just died of cancer was a pastor at Mojave Foursquare Church. That's where I grew up. And it was in that moment that I was at camp, and I don't know about you, I've been in these times in my life where I'm leading, or maybe you're trying to lead your family or a business, and you're trying to be strong, but you're going through some of the hardest times of your life. And you're trying to be strong, you're trying to be strong, and you're trying to say, God, what is my identity? And you're, and you're confused, and God, why wasn't my dad healed? And all these questions are rolling around in my head. And in this moment, a message from heaven, a great cloud of witnesses spoken to my life. I believe that God wants to do that with us today. That God reminded me of that story because there's another realm going on that God wants to send a message to you today about your identity, about who you are in Christ. Because the world that we're around, we're getting so many different messages, especially in California every day. I forget what the statistic is. It's something like 20,000 messages we all get every day as consumers here in Los Angeles. It's nuts. But as we go into this message about our identity, about God speaking, that's the thing. Our identity is the deepest part of us that defines who we are. It's intimate. I'm going to be speaking very intimately today about you and about our lives. And so I felt like that God wanted to share this story because we need to open up ourselves to that great cloud of witnesses. Throw off the hindrances. Throw off the sin that easily entangles and focus on Christ this morning. Can we do that together as a church? Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that you are alive, that you're still speaking today. And so, Holy Spirit, as we open up your scripture, as we open up your word, God, would you speak into our hearts today? God, would you give us a word that's divinely from heaven, not from anything that I thought up or scholars thought up, but God, Holy Spirit, would you pour out in this room right now in the name of Jesus? And God, would you awaken our hearts to our identity? God, I pray for the false, the lies, in the name of Jesus, every lie out of this room right now. We take authority from every demonic spirit, every presence that's not from you, out right now in Jesus' name. And God, let your word reign true. Because we stand on the word of God, not the sinking sand of culture, but the word of Jesus this morning. God, we're excited. Would you speak to us in Jesus' name? And they all said...
Amen. Hopefully my laptop doesn't die. Okay, cool, got it. <laughs> All right. Oh, there was also something. Is John here one of the worship leaders now that we're going? I just, is John, John, can you come up here real quick, man? I know, I know this is crazy. I, I don't normally do this, but guys, can you please welcome up John real, real quick? <laughs> John, we just met, like, it was only 10 feet away, and I said hi before the service. Hi, my name is Ashton. <laughs> While we were in worship, um, the Holy Spirit gave me a word for you, and I just wanted to start off um, with that for you today. Is that cool? Are you receptive to that? Awesome. Well, um, as we were worshiping, the Lord reminded me of your name. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but your, your, your name means that God has put his mercies on you or his favor on your life. Um, and I don't know what that specifically means for you, but I know, I know for me, God's put a lot of mercy on my life. God's brought me through a lot. And I felt like the Lord was saying that his mercy is on you, that nothing that you've done or nothing that you've been doing takes away from your identity in Christ, that he loves you. And there's a mercy, there's a favor on your life. And here's what I know about favor. You can't live favor and be timid about it. And I felt like the today the Lord was saying, hey, it's time to step out in your identity of walking in boldness today, of walking in the favor and the, the mercy that God has. You know what I'm saying? Like that grace that God has poured on your life, grace is bold. And I just felt like the Lord was saying that this morning, hey, it's time to step into that boldness, that calling that I put on your life as a worship leader, but also as a, a spiritual leader. Does that make sense? Can we all extend a hand over to John real quick? Can we, can we just pray for him? God, we thank you for John right now. God, we thank you for the calling on his life, the favor that you've put on him. And so, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would waken up, wake up his identity right now in Jesus' name, Lord, and that he would walk in boldness like Joshua, that he would be strong and he would be courageous. He wouldn't look to the right or to the left, but he would walk straight in the calling that you've had for his life. God, I thank you for the privilege it is to pray for this man. Lord, that, that it says in your word that, that how good and pleasant it is and, and the, the feet that bring the gospel message. And so, Lord, would you bless him today? God, would you give him a new boldness? And God, would you remind him that your favor is on his life and you're gonna do incredible things through him, but also the most important thing, in him, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you, dude. <laughs> Can you guys give it up for John? Come on. <laughs> All right. I guess I should go back into my sermon. Um, okay, so my sermon is identity theft, if you want to write that in there, identity theft. And um, I want to give credit to Dr. Henry Nowen and Dr. Knight for being my teachers who have taught me a lot about my identity and who I am in Christ. So I want to give them credit. And I want to define identity for you. This is, what is identity? What, is, what does it mean? Identity is this, who we experience ourselves to be. I'm going to say it one more time. Our identity is who we experience ourselves to be. The I each of us carries within us. The I each one of us carries within us. It's how we experience ourselves to be. It doesn't matter how many people say things or all those things about you or, or, you know, it matters what you think about yourself. It matters how you view yourself. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about your identity, how you view you. In America, we're in this crazy time of identity theft, right? You've probably seen a commercial. Who's seen a commercial to get some kind of identity theft service, right? I mean, you probably have seen it before. Um, basically, one in 15 people, and in this congregation size, I'm guessing probably about 200 with kids and everything today, that's about 14 people just here statistically has had identity theft. Um, that's over 1 million children in America that's had it, and it's cost $540 million. Oh, I should probably click that over. Got to get used to that. $540 million. Um, every two seconds, somebody's identity is being stolen here in America. 
right? Every two seconds. So we are in a crisis, right? Especially in the data world of data breaches. Who's gotten emails before saying, hey, your account has been, you know, been hacked into basically. And, you know, now your information is out. I've gotten those emails several times. What I'm saying is this. We are an identity crisis in our nation and in our time. I'm working with youth, kids, young adults. And the the largest problem that I face as I go to churches is that people don't know who they are anymore. They're trying to be somebody else. They're confused about their sexual identity. They're confused about if God has a calling really for them on their life. They're confused if they can really live out this Christian walk in today's culture. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? There's a, there's a confusion in identity that we're all facing, especially here in Southern California. <laughs> when I was uh, 21 years old, so the year I got licensed as a pastor... Um, I was uh, at my church at the Highlands, and it's a 14, it, it was a $14 million building that they entrusted to me to lock up on Monday nights. So, yeah, I was in fear and trembling walking through, like, Lord, please. And so I was trying to lock up the building that night, and I couldn't find my wallet, you know, with my ID in it. And so I'm like, oh, gosh. So I look around. I'm at the church till 11 o'clock at night. I'm freaking out. I can't find my wallet. So I get into my car, and I begin to drive out. And, of course, right when I drive out of the church parking lot, I hear whoop, whoop. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, the police. Like, I'm not wearing my seatbelt, <laughs> right, because I panicked. I got in my car. I am, like, driving home frustrated because I just searched this huge building for my wallet. And the police just come up. <laughs> the guy comes up to me and goes, hey, license and registration. And I was like, I don't have it. You know, <laughs> at that moment, I knew I was done, right? You know, get your hands out of the window, you know. They cuff me. They put me in the back of the cop car, <laughs> you know. And I'm sitting there in the back of the cop car. I'm like, going, gosh. And the guy's like, you know, what are you s- some drug dealer or something, you know what I mean? And I'm like, I'm the youth pastor at the church. And he's like, he's like, yeah, right, you're the youth pastor at the church, you know what I mean? And I'm like, I promise, man, I'm the youth pastor. I just, I lost my wallet somewhere in that huge building. And he's like, dude, shut up. You know what I mean? Like, get in the back of the cop car. I'm like, okay. He's like, dude, I noticed there was a ring on, like, not, like, it's not your wedding ring because it's on your right hand. What's that? I'm like, it's a purity ring. And he's like, ah! And he starts laughing at me. And I mean, I am just getting, like, grilled in the back of this cop car, right? You know what I mean? Like everything, he's attacking, like, oh yeah, you know, you're probably like a pimp too, aren't you? You know, and I'm like, what? Like, come on, like I'm a skinny white boy. Like, what you? Anyways, I'm just like freaking out. I'm panicking in the back. I've never been in a back cop car. And so anyways, they find um, my wallet underneath the passenger seat <laughs> and they like pull up my ID. They're like, hey, Ashton Robert Fish, you know what I mean? You idiot. Like <laughs> they throw my stuff, they literally threw all my stuff on my car, just left me there. And thankfully I didn't have to go and you know, be reported or anything. But I learned something valuable in that moment, that when you lose your ID, you lose everything. Your identity is everything. Your identity, especially your California license, you got your number, you got your name, you got your address, it shows about your family, it shows your height, it shows everything about who you are. And so many people aren't living into who they are. They've lost their identity. And so what the enemy is doing, he is arresting the church. And I'm not even just talking about non-Christians. He's arresting the church because they don't know who they are. They've lost the promises of God, the word of God. And I know this because this happens to me all the time. Is that really true for me today? I'm just being real. Is that really true for me today? And we can doubt our identity and we can doubt sometimes the word of God. But I'm I'm here today to say that we can trust the word of God, amen. We can trust who God says we are. And I want to go through a story Um, through the temptations of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. And so if you want to grab that, 
um, I'm going to go through the temptations, and we're going to do something kind of a non-traditional look at the temptations of Jesus. Some of you have probably read these, these temptations a lot, but I just want to go through this um, in a non-traditional way. Matthew 4, 1 through 3. Let's read this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, and if you have your Bible, you have anything, just underline that. That is an identity, identity statement, right? He is challenging. What is the enemy doing? He's challenging the identity right away of Jesus. If you are the son of God, if you're who you say you are, command these stones to become bread. This is the tempter. This is the devil tempting Jesus. Matthew 4, 4 And it says this, this is what Jesus says. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There's also a scripture that I wanted to bring up for a second. It's interesting that I want to make a note here. It wasn't like it was wrong for Jesus to make the stone into bread. Does that make sense? That miracle, it wasn't that that was wrong. We actually find in John chapter 6 that Jesus feeds 5,000 people, right, with some loaves and fishes. So it's not wrong what Satan was asking him to do. This wasn't wrong. But Jesus was making a point because if you look in John chapter 6, it's actually kind of sandwiched. Later on in the end of the verse, this is what Jesus says to his followers. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I believe what Jesus was saying is that, hey, I'm enough. It's only through me. Hey, you're going to go hungry. We can create bread. and I would have I went hungry out in the wilderness my, myself, even if I would have kept on creating bread. But he was pointing to himself that he is the bread of life. Here is the identity statements. These are really important. These are tried and true. These are something that I've studied for the past five years and something that I love to think about for my own life. And this is what Jesus was saying. I am not what I do. You might want to write that down. I am not what I do. We are not defined by what we do. We are defined by what Christ has done on the cross for us. Amen? We are not defined by what we do. We're defined by what Christ has done for us. This is the temptation. And real quick, if you're a leader in this church, just raise your hand real quick. If you're a leader in this church, a few leaders, okay. If you are a parent leading some kids, raise your hand. If you're a parent, if you've led some kids. If you're a business person, then you have people that work underneath you and you get it. Right? Anybody here a business person that you work with people underneath you? Here's the temptation that was facing for Jesus. This is the temptation to fulfill every need, wish, and desire to perform. I don't know about you. Do you ever feel like that, that you have to do everything for everybody else? That it's all about your performance and all about what you do? I believe what Jesus was doing here in this first temptation is saying, no, Satan, I don't have to perform for you anymore. I don't have to do what you say I have to do. No, I'm relying on what God has done and what God is going to do through my life. That I'm not reliant on what I do. I am not what I do. And I know, especially for us guys, Every guy here in this room, I'm going to speak to you for a second. We are especially defined by what we do in our profession and our job. We're especially struggling all the time with trying to do it and trying to excel and trying to climb the corporate ladder and trying to make more money and trying to help our kids, then our kids go to college. And it just keeps going and going and going. We're defined by what we do. And that's a temptation, especially for us men. And not saying there's women that have this as well, but especially for men, we struggle in finding our value and our identity by what we do. And then guess what? When that job crashes down, when men retire, 
when people go through a transition in life, they lose all of their self-confidence and worth. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because they've seen people do that before. They put their identity in what they do. Let's see here. Here's the next one. Here's the next temptation. Matthew 4, 5, and 6. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Matthew 4, 7. Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall not tempt or test, another version says, the Lord your God. This is really, this is really key because, and I'm going to come down here. I'm going to scare you guys for a second. This is what this temptation is. Right? This is what the enemy was doing. He was saying, hey, Jesus, I'm going to take you to Jerusalem, which is the central point for religion, is the central point for society at that time. Right? It's Jerusalem. It's the top of the temple. And he, and he, set him, he was sent him on the top of the temple, and he said, hey, you're going to jump down. You're going to jump down, and these angels are going to catch you. Right? And so what he was saying is this, hey, go up in front of everybody and be like, look at me. I'm amazing. I'm going to jump down. I'm the son of God. Look at me jump down. Everybody's going to you know, scream and, and cheer. And they're going to be, look at how amazing and awesome Jesus is. Look at even the angels obey him. Let's make him our warrior king and defeat the Roman Empire. That's what was going on. But here is the, the temptation. We are not defined by who, who people say we are. We are defined by who God says we are. This is the temptation, especially in Southern California. Because every college student I meet, they're trying to be amazing. <laughs> I'm about to drop my album, bro. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to come out and I'm going to do this. I'm going to be the next big this. I'm going to be the next, you know. My Instagram has like 40 followers now, bro. I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? Like, I got this, man. Like, I'm going to be amazing. I'm going to be the next Jay-Z, you know. But for Jesus, you know, I love it. <laughs> they try to like, but for Jesus, you know, it always is that in the end. But this is the temptation to be amazing, to be incredible, and so often we get caught in that, trying to be amazing, trying to fulfill everybody else's desires and what they say about us. We want to hear the praises of people. And I've gone through this myself, working for a large church and, and, and you know, having hundreds of people follow me. And, and, and I've, I've even sat there in times and, and gone, oh, I kind of like this. This feels good with people's approval and it feels good. You know where that led me? That led me to quitting my youth pastor job and going humbly to Bible college. That's where it led me. Because I'm not defined by who people say I am. I'm defined by who God says I am. And the same thing is for you. This is really deep in my family. And I'm going to get really honest for a moment with you about my family. My grandfather, Richard Samwick, was the director for Days of Our Lives here in Los Angeles um, back in the, the 70s and 80s. Uh, my family was a Hollywood family. My mom, it was my mom's side. And, um, but he was a severe alcoholic. And... Um, he would, he would get drunk every day. And actually, he actually had to be normal to drink. Does that make sense? He was that bad to a point where it's actually when he, when he didn't drink that he got the most angry. Does that make sense if you've ever experienced that before? And so that was my grandpa. And so anyways, he would always say the worst things to my, my aunts and my uncles, you know. And, and he would curse my mom. And he would, he would say, I'm not going to say the names because we're, we're here and, and we're... Uh, and there was youth in the room, but he would just say these horrible names, demeaning names to my mother. He would look at my, my uncle, and he would, he would say, you know, you know, basically, you're gay. And he would constantly, he would use other choice words, but I'm just going to say, you're a homosexual. And he would constantly belittle him, even though my uncle had a girlfriend in high school, and he had all this. But my grandpa would just curse, curse, curse. My mom got married to a rock star at 17. 
the marriage ended in a year. She ended up sailing across the world. Her mom had to rescue her in Tahiti in a boat. This is a real story. This is my mom. Because she was running from the curse of what my grandpa had spoken over my mom. She had a child out of wedlock because my grandpa always said she was worthless. And, and she had a child out of wedlock at 25. And then my uncle, he, he, would, he would go into a homosexual lifestyle um, where that wasn't a part of him, and, but became a part of him. And he, he felt that he believed that lie and that curse, and, and he, he became a homosexual, and he's in a homosexual lifestyle till this day. Um, the cool thing about God is that God redeems things, and God has the final word. My mom met my dad when she was about 29 on the streets of Hollywood ministering the gospel because my mom got saved at church on the way. Uh, thank you, Jesus. Hashtag Jack Hayford. Um, right? And so she gets saved. My parents meet. I'm their first kid of that. And then I have two other brothers and sisters. And it's beautiful. I mean, God has redeemed our family. My uncle, we just got to visit last, uh, last year in, in uh, Europe. He lives in London. And we got to love him and, and pray for him and speak life into him. I believe that God's working on him. God's speaking to him. But I'm telling you, all of us in this room, and I can see it in my family, but also I've had things that people have said about me, curses and lies that the enemy has used people to say into me. And often it's people in your family that it hurts the most. It's from parents, it's from grandparents, it's from brothers, it's from sisters, it's from best friends. And all of us in this room, we have this temptation to be defined by what other people say about us. And I love this this is so key that, that Jesus says, no, no, you're, you're not going to test me. No, I, I don't need to do this. I don't need to perform. I don't need people to think I'm amazing. I'm secure in who I am. I know who I am. I don't need you to say how awesome I am. I don't need to perform all these miracles. Isn't it amazing that as you look through the gospels, Jesus was never self-promoting himself. It was the opposite. He was like, no, don't tell anybody. He, wasn't, he was never pointing to himself. He was always saying, no, go, go give God the glory or go talk to the, the men in the synagogue and tell what God has done and give God glory. He was never going, oh, yeah, like I'm living for the praises of people and that people would think I'm amazing. No, he believed that he was because that's who he was made to be. And can I tell you this morning, you were made to be and you are amazing in who you are. And who God has made you to be, you're amazing. That there's only one of you in this world, and God made you uniquely for you. That you don't have to try to be somebody else and compare yourself, especially in our Southern California culture. Trust me, I know it. I'm in it, and I walk around it all the time just like you. You're not defined by what people say about you. You're defined by who God says you are. And we have to avoid the temptation to amaze. I'm convinced that in the church today, if we would spend less time trying to be amazing and actually just humbly serving Jesus and the people around us, we'd get way further than where we're at right now. If it was less about the lights, camera, and action, and here, I'm, I'm a guy that, you saw the camps, right? We have lights and all that. Stuff, and, all, and, and I think God can use that too. I'm not trying to just say that that's not of God or anything. God can use that too. But our focus is on people. Our focus is, number one, on Christ and his mission. Our focus is on letting Jesus define who we are. Is that you this morning? Or are you carrying something right now? As I was telling that, you were hearing that person in your ear saying, hey, no, you are this. No, you are that. No, you will never amount into anything. No, you're, you're gay. No, you're never going to get married. No, you're hopeless. No, you're stupid. 
I got that one a lot when I was younger. That was my lie. You're stupid. And God had to work that into my heart. Are you feeling that this morning? Can I encourage you right now that today that there would be a revelation in your heart to not live by what people say you are anymore? And we're going to be praying. We're going to be doing some ministry at the end about breaking free from some of that. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. If you fall down and worship me. Matthew 4.10, then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, God, sorry, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Here's the temptation. I am not what I have. I am not what I have. We are defined, we are not defined by what we have. We have everything we need in Jesus, amen? Here's the temptation. (laughs) And this is a big temptation for me all the time. The temptation is this. The temptation is to be in control and to have personal power. Do you struggle with this, trying to be a control freak all the time? Anybody else, can, can, will you admit with me, I can be a little bit of a control freak. Just raise your hand up a little bit. It's all right. It, it's freeing. Once you put it up, you can put it up. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. You can be a little bit of a control freak. We see it, two hands in the back. Lord, mercy on him. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I mean, we can put it up. We can say, hey, we can be control freaks. And this is the temptation of, of Jesus. And actually, as I was looking at this morning, the Lord showed me this. Don't you love this when you look through the word of God and God shows you just like new little things that you never thought was there? Isn't it interesting that the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain? I thought about this. When you're living for possessions and power and control, you're alone. You're isolated. You're by yourself. This is where we get the phrase that you've heard before. It's lonely at the top. Right? It's lonely at the top. And literally, Satan took Jesus to the highest point he could take him. Who knows? It could have been Mount Everest. Right? You could have taken him to Mount Everest and said, hey, look at all the kingdoms. Look at all the possessions. I will give you all this. But first, you have to isolate yourself. You have to be alone. You have to give up your relationships. You you have to give up your relationship with God, the Father, and with your disciples and everybody. And guess what? Then you can come and you, you just have to worship me. Then we'll be in cahoots. We'll be best friends. I am not what I have. We are not defined by what we have. We have everything we need in Jesus. My family grew up in Mojave as local senior pastors of 2,000 people in the town. I mean, we used to have a joke, like, Mojave was the armpit of L.A. You know, like, no one really wanted, like, you drove through Mojave to go to Vegas, and then they put a big interstate there, so now you don't even drive through Mojave to go to Vegas. Like, and so, anyways, like, I mean, it was just really rough, and it was, like, it was a season of our lives where we didn't have a lot. You know, we, we grew up in a, in a double-wide trailer for rent for 400 bucks a month. It was crazy, right? I mean, who here would probably trade that for your rent, right? I mean, 400 bucks a month, it was awesome. But we lived in this little trailer in the middle of the desert. Like, we, it was a super humble com- uh, community. My dad gave up his executive job at Canon. He worked for Canon for 20 years. Um, and he gave up that job to go to pastor. And so we're, like, in this little town. There's nothing. And by the way, our choice was... Mojave Desert over here or Oxnard, California, right? So all of us are like, woo, we're moving to the beach, right? As kids, we're like, we can't wait. We bought our surfboards. We brought all of our sun clothes. I mean, we were like, they're going to, who would take Mojave in their right mind? You know what I mean? Like over Oxnard. Like, I mean, it's literally the, the promised land, Egypt. The promised land, Egypt. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, come on, we're like, take us out, Lord, you know? And so 
and I grew up in Lancaster, so I was like, sweet God, you know, we're moving closer to the, the promised land, you know? And anyway, so my dad's like, I heard from the Lord, we're going to Mojave. All of us are like, we wept for like weeks, right? The first Sunday I was there, actually, I, was, I will never forget, I was 11 years old, and while we were on stage, I was so mortified at this run-down podunk church in the middle of nowhere, I literally fainted. They had to carry my body off of the stage. I woke up with three ushers around me, like, making sure I was okay. I'm telling you, like, we did not have a lot. My dad went from being an executive, went to this little humble spot. We did not have a lot. But I can tell you that that eight years was the best eight years that we had in my family. Going from owning a house and vacations and all those things to going to a little, small town. And in that town, God showed us what really love and family was all about. That it wasn't about having all of these things. Because my dad was commuting four hours a day. And he was doing all this executive stuff. And I didn't really get to see my dad. But man, when he was pastoring, we did ministry together as a family. God was showing us how to do things together as a family. And I can see in my life that contrast of living this American dream of it's all about consumerism. It's all about who gets the most toys and they win. But that's a lie. It's not, we're not defined by what we have. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying things, you know, are, are bad. No, it's great. God has blessed us. Amen. I know so many people here, you've been blessed and that's awesome. You, you know, you've been blessed. But guess what? You've been blessed to be a blessing. It's not about you. Your money's really not about you. It's really about who you're going to bless with it and who you're going to leave that to. This is the temptation to be in control and to be in personal power. And this is the struggle that I think all of us go through. And even Jesus himself had to go, okay, like here's all of these things and all the kingdoms. But I love that his response, again, if you look at it, his response is the most like, you know, just right in your face, the most crazy response is this. It's away with you, Satan, right? He is like, no, not today, Satan, right? He's going, this is not going to happen. I'm not defined by what I have. I'm defined by what Jesus is going to do through his life. And he's going to live a life. Here's the amazing thing about Jesus, that he's going to give up control. He's going to give up power, and he's going to be emptied on the cross, and he's going to give up all of that so that we could have new life. So that we who are out of control can now be in a new control of God's identity. Amen. This is the gospel. For us who are powerless, who are marginalized, who are abused, who've been hurt. Guess what? God, through his power of the Holy Spirit, is going to raise you up to new life. That is the gospel message. That Jesus would empty himself of that. That he wouldn't be defined by what he has but he would lose control, that he would lose power. And here's the thing of the gospel that I think is the hardest part, right? It's that. Would you deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus? Would you empty yourself out of control and power? It's the, probably the hardest one, and that's why I think it's the last one. Henry Nouwen said this, and this is kind of a sobering thought. Henry Nouwen, a theologian, said this. When you are dead, <laughs> I know this is the sobering thought, but when you are dead, you can't do anything anymore. Nobody talks about you, and you don't have any possessions. When you are dead, you can't do anything anymore. Nobody talks about you, and you can't take your possessions with you, right? We're going to learn a basic lesson from the Egyptians. <laughs> we can't take it with us. And so my question, where I want to leave us today is have you been defining yourself by what you do? Have you been defining yourself by what other people say about you? Is there a curse? Is there a lie 
And lastly, have you been defined by the things that you have? And the worship team, if you can come on up. Notice what Jesus did though here. That every time in the temptation, he recognized the, the lie of the enemy. And it's important to know why in quotations, what, what the enemy said, the tempter said to Jesus, that's scripture, right? So if you look at those in Matthew 4, there's scripture there. And so what Jesus does, he identifies that he's misusing scripture, which should make all of us pastors tremble before the Lord, right? Like make sure that we're using scripture, right? But he recognizes the lie. He calls out the lie. And then he says this, away with you, Satan. So if we can learn a pattern about our identity in our life, and I've found this because I've been through counseling, I've had mentors teach me this, hey, you got to recognize the lie. you got to be able to see the lie first about your identity. What is that lie? Like my mom, that she was worthless and she was never going to be married. Like my uncle, right, that he was gay and he'd never have good, a family or intimacy. What is that lie? You got to recognize that that's a lie. And then what do you got to do? You got to confront that and you got to speak truth. <laughs> and then to be real, you got to repent for believing the lie. And then you can live in that new life that God has for you. So this morning, that's what I want us to do. I want us to respond for a moment. I want us to move around into that same thing that we came through, a great cloud of witnesses that right now there's something holy happening. It's not me right now really up on this stage. It's you're, you're going to encounter God for yourself right now in the room, that, that your identity is in him, right? It's not in me or anything I can say or even in this church. It's in Christ. And so can you take a moment, put your Bible, put your things aside, and I want you just to have a moment with God. We're just going to take a moment of ministry for this moment right now. And I want to do that process with you. I want you to take a moment to recognize maybe some of the lies that you've believed in your life. Then I want you to speak truth to that lie. And then here's the moment that's really important. We've got to repent. We've got to say, God, repent means I'm turning away from that thought. I'm turning away, God, from being defined by what I do. I'm turning away, God, from being defined by the things that I have. I'm turning away, God, for living through the approval of others. And I think probably all of us, in, in some sense, you are struggling with one of those things because we're human. And then we're gonna speak freedom into your life. And so right now, just take a moment right now just to meditate on that. And I wanna remind you who you are in Christ. And remember, this is the Hebrews 12, one that we talked about, that we gotta throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that easily entangles us. Throw off those false identities. Let's say, not today, Satan. You're not stealing my identity anymore. I know who I am. I'm who God says I am. This is what the Bible says. Let me remind you of who you are. It says this in Deuteronomy 28, 13, you are the head and not the tail. In Psalms 139, 14, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you are a new creation and person. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, you are the temple of God's presence and the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Ephesians 2, 20, you are God's workmanship, created to do good things in Christ Jesus. Acts 1, 8, you are God's hands and feet on mission to the world. Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. Ephesians 1.5, you are adopted into God's family and no longer slaves. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, you have been bought at a price and you've been redeemed by Christ. In Galatians 2.26, you are the ch children of God and you have full access to the Father. In John 15.15, 15, you are friends with God. And in Romans 9.25, you are the beloved of God. And I wanna read this last scripture, 1 Peter 2.9. But you, here's your identity. You are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And so right now, if you're saying, hey, I have been defined by some of the things that I've done. There's some past sins that I've been holding on or I've been defined by the praises of other or I've been defined by the things that I have. And in this moment, I'm reminded of who I am. And this morning, if that's you, if you're saying, hey, I know who I am in Christ and I can boldly stand and I can literally just say every lie would detach from me. If that's you, would you just stand up with me this morning? And I'll stand up right now. But you would say, hey, I'm gonna stand. I'm gonna take a physical step to say, God, I know who I am this morning, that I am the head and not the tail, that God, I am not just last anymore, that God, you have a purpose and you have a plan for my life, that God, that you have made me the light of the world and I'm not gonna just, just sit in the darkness with my talents anymore and the calling that you have in my life, that you're calling me forward. God, that I know that I'm beloved and I'm loved. And even though I've been hurt and people have broken up with me and relationships have been hard, Jesus, I know that I'm secure in you this morning because I know who I am. My identity is in you, Jesus. It's not in what I do. It's not in what others say about me. It's not in what I have. It's in what Christ has done on the cross. And so you can come boldly. You can come boldly to Jesus this morning. And you can say, God, I can stand and I can be that new creation. God, I pray for every person in this room that's standing up right now. God, I pray that you would set them free right now in Jesus' name from the lies of the enemy that have been just taking and, and posterizing their lives. God, would you loosen those lies right now? Thank you that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. That Jesus, that you gave it all on the cross, that you paid the price. And so God, would we surrender that to you? Like your word says, cast your cares on the Lord for he cares for you. God, would you set people free to their identity? I also just feel like a need right now to pray for people that you know you're called by God and you haven't been living into that calling. That you've been resisting the calling of God to serve more at church or to reach out more to your colleagues or, or to maybe even there's a pastoral calling that's on your life and you've neglected that. And I just, this is not something I had planned, but I believe that God's calling out. Can I tell you that it says in the Bible, it says that your call and your gifts are irrevocable. That when God put it on you, he meant it. When God said that you were gonna do amazing things for his kingdom, he meant it. He wasn't lying. And so if that's you this morning in faith, could you just raise your hand? I wanna pray for you if there's somebody here. I just in faith believing that we got somebody here in the front that God's breaking that from you right now in Jesus' name. Mighty woman of God. Not small, big for his kingdom. Come on, girl. I can see it in your life. I can see that God's going to use your voice. And actually, the enemy has tried to silence your voice. And not anymore. That God will use your voice for him. And so Jesus, right now, loosen her voice. God, for this couple in the front row, thank you, Lord, for their calling. Thank you for uniting, Lord, them. Lord, Lord would you bless them? Would you pour out your calling and your mission in their life? That, that God's not done with you yet. That that's the lie you know, we've done it and we've done this and that and this has happened. No, God's not done with you yet. It's yes and amen and glory to glory. Amen that God has for you more. And so Lord, just give them more right now in Jesus' name. Another hand over here for brother God. Just bless him, Lord. Fill him with your spirit. God, give him boldness and confidence. Lord, for every other hand that I can't see right now, Lord, would you raise up an army here at New Life? God, you're doing something new in this church. And so God, would you raise up an army in Jesus' name and wake up people by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about our church, please visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. And feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission.